Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who brings us great comfort. As today we celebrate the Feast of All Saints. Our All Saints Day is a, a beautiful day for us as we live in the Holy Christian Church, as we gather to rejoice the final victory that Christ wins for his Christians. We look forward to the abundant and beautiful life that the church triumphant has as they gather around the throne of God, while at the same time we live as part of God's church militant, as the church that suffers, that is also gathered around that same throne, if only by faith. We see the church as one holy, small-c, Catholic, apostolic church, as the saints at victory... And as the saints who live here on earth in warfare worship the one true and living God, we indeed are engaging in the same spiritual worship of the same living Jesus Christ. We join in the throng of God's holy ones proclaiming that same gospel that was proclaimed in our text from Revelation today as salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And this confession is what makes a saint. It is the central message of this holy Christian church that we are part of. Salvation is the work of God and the work of God alone. This confession of faith is the only means by which a person becomes a saint. We believe that Jesus has died for us to make us holy. When other groups like the Roman Catholics talk about saints, they refer to those who have done great things in the life of the church. They look to the great works of the great leaders of the church who have gone before them. They even believe that those good works of the saints are stored up in a treasury of merit. And they believe that you can tap into that treasury of merit, all stored up by the great works of the saints, if only you pray to them, you ask, God, you ask them to intercede to God on your behalf, as you look to their words, their actions, their miracles, and other great deeds, and ascribe to the saints an almost demigod status, as they worship the relics of the saints, those fragments of their remains, or something they owned and used in life, believing them to grant supernatural blessings. They believe that this veneration of the saints brings them closer to Jesus. But they couldn't be more wrong. These things do not bring a person closer to Christ. These worship of the saints drive them farther and further away from him. Because this teaching is contrary to the central and true confession of the actual saints in heaven. As we hear them cry out once again, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. And we have this beautiful vision that we read this morning from Revelation 7. That we behold in John's vision, as John is granted a picture of the throne room of heaven. He's taken up by Christ to see the story of our salvation play out. And it plays out in the image of unsealing the scroll of the book of life. The vision begins with John as he sees that book of life. It's a scroll sealed with seven seals. It's closed up. And no one in the entire kingdom of heaven is fit to unseal it. No one can reveal who is part of the kingdom and who is redeemed. No one is worthy to open this book and read the names that are inscribed in the book of life. 
And this causes John great distress. As we read in the text of Revelation, it says, I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a small scroll written on the back and sealed within, and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll of the book or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. But then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Here we see. Here we see it is the lion of the tribe of Judah who can open the scroll. And he's not a proud and victorious like a lion. He is humble, standing victoriously in the king, uh, kingdom of heaven as a lamb who was slain. And as he approaches the scroll, all heaven erupts in joyous praise and they sing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And so you see that Christ alone is the one who opens the book of life. <clears throat> he alone is the one who is worthy. And why? Well, he alone is the true holy one. He is the one who makes saints out of sinners. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. And this is what it means to be saved. It is to have faith in the Holy One of God. It is to have faith in the Lamb who was slain. It is to have our sins forgiven. The Lion of Judah is not seen as a lion. He is the Lamb. The lamb who was slain, who has died, but now lives. The image of Christ in the kingdom of heaven is that of the suffering Savior who has been glorified. We see this in the resurrected Jesus as he appears to his disciples that first Easter morning and Easter evening. We see that he bears the marks of the passion on his hands, on his feet, in his side. As he is risen and as he is glorified in his body, the wounds that heal us remain upon him. And why? He's not hurt. They bring him no pain. But it's because they stand as an eternal witness to our salvation. Because salvation belongs to God and the Lamb. And we see this in the Lamb himself, as he is the Lamb who was slain to make us the people of God. St. Peter writes about this. He said, He committed no sin. He's holy. Neither was the seat found in his mouth. He's a saint. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, because by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. These wounds of healing are an eternal and glorious reminder to the saints in heaven of the love that the Father has for them. And they behold him who was slain to make them into holy ones for God, to make them into saints. They are left without a doubt 
of God's love for them. As they see their Savior and they live in their salvation, as they are glorified in Christ, they live in triumph. And yet, while we share in this victory, we share in the forgiveness that the Lamb has won for us, we share in the holiness that Christ has given us, we do not see the same triumph. We do not see the beautiful vision of Christ on his throne in heaven. We do not see the sinlessness and the painlessness that the saints in heaven bear. St. Paul writes in Romans 8 saying that we are co-heirs of Christ's glory provided that we suffer with him. This is what happens upon the earth when Christ unseals the book of life, when he breaks the seals upon the scroll, suffering upon earth is released. As the first six seals are broken, John has images of four horsemen that represent oppression and warfare and famine and death, the suffering church, the decay of creation. All of these are laid bare before John. And that is what the church militant must endure. As we dwell upon this evil earth, we face every sort of evil to the very end. And this will be corrupt governments that rage unjust wars. There will be scarcity and famine that is brought upon humanity for no other reason than human wickedness and greed. The church will be oppressed by earthly powers, assaulted for confessing the gospel, and hated for speaking the truth. Christians will suffer. They will have to bear the cross. They will have sorrow and every sort of hardship. And as the world hates their Lord, the world will hate them as well. Jesus says this at his crucifixion, as Jesus is bearing his own cross to Golgotha, where he will be crucified, he sees the faithful women following him and weeping. And Jesus turns to them and says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves. <coughs> weep for your children. For behold, the days are coming when... They will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that have never born and the breasts that have never nursed, because then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? And John says in his first letter, As he is, so also are we in this world. And so as Christ is a suffering Savior... As we live in this world that despises Christ, so too will his Christians suffer. So too will his Christians struggle in this life. We will be tempted in every way. We will be tempted away from Christ. As the world says, we will accept you, but if you just do this, follow us. See, unlike the saints in triumph, as they're gathered around the throne room of God with no pain, no suffering, no sorrow, and certainty as they look to God with their own eyes, we do not have this living image of the Lamb who was slain before our own living eyes. What we see, what we hear, what we experience in this life is something quite different than what they see. We do not bear his image in glory. We bear his image in sorrow. As he bore his cross, we bear the cross. We suffer in this fallen world. And that is the image we bear. The church triumphant has the beautiful glory of Christ. We bear the image of his humility.
as he appeared before us as weak and insignificant, a poor man from Nazareth, no kingly wealth, no glamorous clothing, no impressive worldly pedigree of power. He was born into humility. He was born to be the suffering servant of our eternal God. Yet he is the Father's beloved. Even in his humility, even in his suffering, even in his smallness, even in his weakness, he is the Holy One of God. And yet he willingly sets the glory of heaven aside to bear his cross. As we read in Philippians 2, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the glory of God the Father. And so here we see, we see this glorious exaltation of the victorious Lamb of God come on through his suffering and death. And without this suffering and death, there would be no host of triumphant saints gathered around the Lamb and his kingdom. He would stand before an empty throne. Hell would be full Heaven would be empty. Yet Jesus becomes a man of sorrows for our sake. He bears our sorrows by bearing our sins. And Jesus, he bears our sins to that cross. He takes them to their final and complete destruction. And that is how saints are made. It's not through magnificent works done by devout men and women of the faith. It, it, is, not the, it is in only the atonement that Christ works for us by his death. It is the forgiveness of sins that is won by Jesus as he sheds his blood so that we might be forgiven. Salvation belongs to our God and the Lamb. That is the eternal refrain repeated by that white-clad host of saints from every tribe, nation, and peoples. It is that eternal hymn of praise and that statement of the eternal truth. One that they see with their eyes. It is one that we can only see through the eyes of faith. We see that the revelation of the true church on earth, the church militant, is only made clear through suffering and sorrow. The scriptures say, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Our suffering our struggle, our tribulation, and our trial in this present evil age are not meaningless. It actually reveals who we are. As the book of life is unsealed, we are caused to see what we trust in. We are caused to see what our true hope is in. As we deal with trial and tribulation and suffering and sorrow. These things mark the distinction between those who suffer in the true faith and those who abandon the faith and forsake God's goodness at the first sign of trouble. The book of life is revealed through the sorrows of this fallen world. It is when we endure sorrow 
that we are first humbled before God to see and to know our sin and our weakness. And it is meant to cause us to see the futility of all earthly hope. And we see the true living and eternal hope of the living God. We forsake this world. We deny ourselves because we live before the one who gives us much more than the world could ever promise. The first six seals are broken, and all the sorrows of this fallen world come to light as war and sickness and famine and death and the terrible realities of this world that fall so far from the good and holiness of God are brought to light. This is the curse of sin come to life as Adam is told that he will have great labor and great sorrow in this life. Yet God never left Adam, and he never leaves us without any promise or hope. And just as the curse of sin is pronounced upon Adam and Eve, so also is his promise of a Savior. He promises there would be one that would crush the serpent's head. There would be one who would undo the curse of sin. And so as we have all the terrors and the evils of this fallen world present to us, In the book of Revelation, we also have the beautiful interlude that we read today from Revelation 7. This image of the kingdom of heaven. The saints who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, standing before his throne, finally and truly redeemed from this sorrowful and painful world. We see how good and beautiful their lives have become. No longer plagued by the evils of this world. We hear called the ones who have come out of the great tribulation, no longer tested by the fallen and dying world around them. Instead, they live in the glory of their God. In pristine white garments that have been washed in the precious blood of Christ, we see that the sorrows of this fallen world no longer can touch them. And John is told, Therefore they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is beautiful. This is the image of life without the effects and hardship that sin bring to us. It's a wonderful thing. As we have this promise set before us, we can often find it hard to imagine what life would be like without hunger or thirst or pain or sorrow or tears. Such a beautiful world is hard for us to even conceive in our little minds. No, we only see life through the lens of those hardships and those pains. We only see life through the lens of our fallenness and the fallenness of the creation around us. We can only see Christ with the eyes of faith. And in this, it's easy to experience the sorrows of this life and to believe the fiction that God is far from us in our suffering. God's in his heaven. We're down on earth. We can believe the lie that Jesus is distant from our suffering and our sorrows And that the life of the saints in triumph, that's an entirely separate thing from the life of the saints down here in warfare. As they rest from their labors, our labors seem never-ending. But this could not be further from the truth. Everything that the saints in heaven have is something that God is working and giving to you today. They have been washed in the blood of Lamb. 
So have you. You have been baptized and you believe. Your sins are forgiven you, as the scriptures teach. Baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to a clean conscience before God through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. They have the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, as their shepherd. Well, so do you. As Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. They have eternal life under the shepherd's care and love. So do you. As Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life and everyone who believes in me will never die and those who die and believe in me will live. You are fed and loved by your shepherd just as they are. They see the lamb who was slain set before them and caring for them, and so do you. As today you will behold the body and blood of your risen Savior upon this very altar. Christ is not distant from you. Christ is here. Christ is speaking in his holy word. Christ is still the one who washes you and bathes you so you are made white in the blood of the Lamb. We find rest in these things. We find rest as we gather together here in the assembly of the saints in warfare. As we join with those who have been called out of this terrible tribulation, we as one body confess the same truth. We join the refrain of the saints in heaven as they sing, Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. We say the same thing. The saints in paradise and the saints on earth have this one confession. We speak it with one voice before our one God. We are made saints by nothing other than the proclamation of the gospel, and that's how they were made saints as well. We share in one salvation that is received by one faith. As St. Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It is one church, one body of believers, some on heaven, some on earth, all in perfect unity. And so we endure the sorrows of this life in hope because we are not distant from the kingdom of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We endure the loss of the faithful as we experience sorrow and suffering with expectation that we will join them in the same songs of praise. We're never truly separated from them. We are eternally united with them as members of one body that is united to its one true head, Christ Jesus. So we also endure our sorrows knowing that they are being brought to an end. St. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so we hold to this faith knowing that salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. He has done it. He is the master of making sinners into saints. He is the one who makes saints of us every day. He is the one who forgives us our sins. And as we daily fail to live up to the name that God has given us, he is the one who still continually and daily takes our sins away. Because salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. That's what makes you holy. That's what makes you saints of God. You are holy to Him.
And so we live each and every day clinging to him by faith. We endure the sorrows of the life of the church militant knowing that Jesus is never far from us. And we know that as we live in the church militant, we are not far from the triumph that God promises. Hold fast to your Savior. Salvation belongs to your God. He gives it. He can provide it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as Christ opens the seals of the book of life, cause us to hold fast to him in saving faith. Help us to cherish above all the forgiveness of sins, knowing that this alone is what brings us out of the sorrows of this fallen world and into the triumph of the life to come. Keep us in true fellowship with all the saints who have gone before us as we gather around your word and sacraments as one holy church and fill our days with the forgiveness of sins as we are fed and nourished and guided into our final victory. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting in the name of Jesus. Amen. We rise.